Ladies and gentlemen, this is Come Sit With Us. Episode 7, Nick Arcade's Fillmore Sits With Us. Ladies and gentlemen, grab a seat. I want you to come sit with us because alongside this table, we have a very special host. But before we get to that, I'm Mark Flores. And I'm Isaiah Martinez. Isaiah, you do know we've been trying to build up this this episode for the for the, for a week since we only have about a week's time. But you do know how pumped up I am for this. I, I imagine you are as well. Oh, yeah. We have a legend sitting with us. Nick Arcade's Fillmore, Nickelodeon alumni. Yeah, honestly, this is a very cool moment for us because this is so nostalgic at its highest level because we have this opportunity to interview, you know, the game shows game show host of our childhood and one of the best ones to do it. And he was part of the magic of Nickelodeon Studios in Orlando, Florida. It was on the cusp of cable television TV. Um, so this is a really cool moment for us, man. The story of how this all started too, by the way, is that I was seeing how you were getting all these interviews done and I saw that you were getting comfortable doing these interviews and so I decided, hey, look, let's find someone else to come sit with us on our our show. And so I just shot for the stars on this one and I I got in contact with uh, Phil Moore and so I, I message Phil first and I call you after and I'm like, Hey, look, we may have something in the works. I'm, I'm just, I just want to save it. If it doesn't fall through, then, uh, then just forget I said anything Yeah, and we'll just go from there. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it was pretty cool that you, you called me up. You said that you might have this guy, um, that's pretty well known. He might do an interview with us and I'm pretty stoked. I'm like, really? Wow. That's cool. Like that's a cool opportunity. I didn't even know who it was, but it was still a cool opportunity. And then you call me back 15 minutes later and you're like, yo, he's in. And I was like, who? And it's like, Phil, Phil Moore. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I don't know how the universe works, Isaiah. I don't want to sound, uh, too cliche on this, but the story starts off with me talking with Andre and I was just watching episodes of Nick Arcade with him at, at my house. And I was like, man, I really want to meet this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The guy's personality is top notch. His charisma's through the roof and he's able to, to keep the, he has a certain magnetism around him to keep the audience and whoever's around him focused on him. Mm-hmm. And that is really something that I really want to be a part of because it helps uh, a tribute to what we do here on come sit with us. Yeah. Now this is going to be probably one of our classic episodes here. So everybody who's listening, I mean, realize this guy had no experience being a host and he comes on to Nickelodeon and just kills it. He slays it. And this is why he's well known. And this is why he's here on come sit with us. And I'm looking at what we have here and it looks like we're, we have Phil on now. So Ladies and gentlemen, with us via satellite, he's a comedian, producer, Emmy Award-winning host and actor, Phil Moore, everyone. Hey, 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 what's going on, guys? Mark, Isaiah, how you doing, guys? We're doing good, Phil, and it's a pleasure to talk to you here on Come Sit With Us. Thank yes. you for joining us. Um, Phil, how are you holding up amidst this quarantine? And, and let me ask you, how does something like this affect someone with a variety of jobs like you? Well, you know, um, first of all, I'm holding up great. Thanks for asking. Um, about the only thing that is kind of uh, hard, really, right at the top, is uh, just being away from people. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know. My son, uh, my son lives out here. He works with me on the current show I produce. Um, you know, uh, there's a young lady I've been seeing, and uh, she's got kids, and uh, you know, we we all are just kind of apart. So that that's kind of hard. You know, um, fortunately though, last year. I got my mom an iPhone oh, for nice. which she called the devil's tool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my mom is like 82 years old. She's like, I'm fine. I said, mom, you're not fine. You have a rotary cell phone. What the hell is this? So, she's like, Siri knows everything. It's weirdly <laughs> bugging me now, out. Oh my gosh. Now she's like Gandalf. She's like, Siri, call so-and-so. You know, she's FaceTiming off. I'm like, aren't you glad I got you? I just got it for like last August. And she is like using it like crazy now. Even before 
this whole pandemic and the quarantine, you know, she'd be out with her, you know, they, they, with her with her lady friends after they get done with church, where you want to go eat? Let's go to this new place I heard. Well, I don't know where it is. She's like, hang on, Siri, where's the so-and-so? Hold so, that thought. <laughs> all That's of a good. She's like, she's like the Tony Stark of the 80-year-old, you know? <laughs> <laughs> she's a she's a hit. She's a hit, yes, man. She yes, knows yes. it. Um, but um, with respect to how it affects the job, I mean, like, first of all, and everybody's healthy, so I'm very, very thankful for that. Um, uh, I have done a few um, what I call corona drive-bys. Uh, you know, like I have a friend of mine back on the East Coast uh, whose mother lives out here in Los Angeles. They're from California. And so I've checked in on her a few times, and if she needed something, I would go shopping for her. Um, for some reason, my, my neighborhood seems to have great access to toilet paper where everybody else I know doesn't. <laughs> so I like, I'll drive by, roll down the window, throw a 12 pack out to the person. <laughs> and then zoom off, you know? I, so, I think everything uh, would be good as long as you yell at incoming before. Dude, it's like a whole new meaning to the word TPing, you know, <laughs> it's um, a hot commodity these days. Phil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, the big thing was last uh, Wednesday I took a, I found, um, uh, a buddy of mine was like, he's, he's in super paranoid mode. He's home working. He's, he hasn't left the house. And he, the other day we were talking, he's like, yo, man, I ain't got no Lysol. <laughs> like, well, let me find out. There's a store up the street for me. They've been telling me when they get their trucks in. Long story short, delivery truck came in. They had six cans. I got one for him, dropped it off. He was like, dude, this is like better than gold, man. This is like better than gold. <laughs> so I've been trying to do stuff like that, you know, to try to help out the people that, uh, you know, that I know and that I care about that either can't find stuff or, you know, can't get out because, you know, they're maybe being yeah. a senior. Oh, that's um, cool. With respect to work, though, um, it's interesting because um, I'm actually working from home, but that actually ends today. Um, because we could, well, look, when I say ends, we have to be put on pause because we were in pre-production and normally pre-production is like, you know, you're sitting in an office, you're having meetings. That's why I've been on zoom with them and stuff. You're writing up, you're coming up with ideas, you're pitching, whatever you're doing all that stuff. But eventually then you start moving into the studio, you get with the art department, you start building the, the props and all that kind of stuff. That moment came to a point today. We've done all we can, can do in pre-production. So for now, I've joined like the, the, the rest of the hundreds, thousands of Americans where now I'm home and I'm not working. Mm. So you know? Phil, Phil, what are you going to do or what are you going to, what do you plan to do while you're at home? Play video games. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Phil, I want to, I want to uh, talk a little bit before your, uh, your start on Nick Arcade. I want you to tell the story of how a moment with the late Greg Dick Clark gave you that motivation that eventually led you to getting your host spot on Nick Arcade. All right. First of all, y'all get major prop points right here because you've really done your homework well. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it is amazing how, um, look, uh, if I could put on my serious voice for a second, this is my <laughs> serious voice. Um, uh, the, Dick Clark, man, I always tell people when people are like, how come you sign every piece of paper? How come you stop and you take pictures? It's because you never know how simple words from someone who's not even trying to affect your life can affect your life in a positive way or a negative way. Okay, so back in, I was living in Orlando and I was doing stand-up comedy. And at the time, uh, my, my ex-wife just had our first child. And so I got a newborn at home. And as a stand-up comic, you're on the road all the time. So I wanted to be home because I was a daddy and I wanted to help her out. I wanted to be there with my kid. Um, so fortunately, I was able to get jobs doing audience warm-ups for TV shows that were shooting at the brand new and not open for the public Disney MGM Studios and Universal Studios. They be, they, they, there were sound stages were actually working and they were shooting shows before one tourist could buy a ticket to go on any attractions. Got and um, Let's Make a Deal had done a reboot back, uh, I forgot what year it was. It had to have been before 19, 1990. And um, they'd done a reboot of the show. Uh, uh, first with a guy named Tom. Oh my gosh, I can't remember his name. People will get me for it. And then they brought in Monty Hall, the original deal master. And so I was working in that environment. But the show was produced uh, uh, by Dick Clark's company. And yeah. I knew he was in the building, but I never saw him. 
I was that guy down on the stage floor. I never went up to the control room, the ivory tower, you know. We never crossed in the hallway just by coincidence or whatever. Um, but I knew he was around, but I never had a chance to meet him. Well, there was a day in which um, they had, you know, a Zonk prize, and we had a real live elephant behind the door. <laughs> and the stage manager comes over to me. It's the end of the show. It's the, it's the last thing. And normally I've done all my bits, all my gags, all my regular routines, all my regular quote unquote improv things. I've done them all. I've got five minutes left. We do the big deal. Mwah, go home. Goodbye. And at that moment, the stage manager comes over to me and goes, yo, Phil, the, uh, the elephant took a dump on the stage room floor and uh, it, it's going to take about 20 minutes for us to clean that shit up literally. <laughs> so, it's like a scene out of Jurassic Park, huh? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I was the original Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I was the original Jeff Goldblum. I was the original Ian Malcolm. And, um, there you go. So all of a sudden, I had to keep the audience entertained. You know, these are, these are people who, you know, you've got them for a while, you tell them how long, and then they're ready to go, you know? And so I had to keep them there, keep them energetic, keep them pumped up. And, and, I, and I did. I mean, we did some fun little things, and it was a whole new meaning to the word improvisational humor it was like it was the predecessor to whose line is it anyway you know and when i got done you know the guy comes over to me again he goes okay phil that's great uh, we're ready to roll and i'm like okay ladies and gentlemen we're all cleaned up in the back we're about to get going again everybody cheered and everything and then i humbly turn my microphone off and walk to my little corner off stage where i normally stand and then all of a sudden somebody whispers in my ear phil turn your mic on we need you to introduce dick clark and i'm like Dick Clark? He said, yeah, he wants to come oh, down and thank the audience for being so patient. And I was like, hot dog, I get to meet Dick Clark. And I did, I did just that. So I introduced, ladies and gentlemen, blah, 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 blah. I built it up. I mean, I knew his history, da, 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 da. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Dick Clark. Spotlight comes on, Dick Clark comes walking out. I, you know, you know like bow and shake his hand <laughs> and I hand him a microphone. And as I start to walk away, he put his hand on my shoulder to prevent me from leaving. And he said, wait a minute, before we, before we get going, folks, anyway, thank you all for being here. Thanks for being so patient. I got to tell you, and this is what he said. Normally, when something like this happens, it spells disaster for us in the control room. We have never had so much fun during a disaster than we did while watching this young man entertain all of us while we took care of the problem in the back. Wow. And so he patted me on the shoulder. And he goes, way to go, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for our warm guy, Mr. Fillmore. And my, wow. my life changed <laughs> <laughs> nice. you know and then he went on he talked to the audience and he did his you know wonderful way of being you know charismatic and smoothing with the crowd and they loved it i mean they could have anybody who was upset for the delay it was all washed away once dick clark came out and personally started talking to him yeah and it... i gotta tell you seriously that night when i went home i got home i picked up the phone and i called my agent and i said melanie she goes yes told her the whole story, and then she was all excited, and she goes, wow, that's terrific. I said, so listen, um, I want my own show. And she goes, oh, let me just call up the TV show, Fairy. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you want your own show? And see, I was really happy being a stand-up. I loved it. It was the thing I wanted to do. I thought maybe after I did this for a while, maybe I'd follow the normal route of most stand-ups and maybe get a sitcom down the road. I don't know. I just wanted to have like an HBO special, you know, maybe be, I'd already done a thing on, on, on Showtime, but I was part of a big group of people, you know, I wanted to be like, yeah, hey, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome one hour with Phil Moore. Yeah. That's what I was aspiring to be. But after this, because my mindset was this, this guy is great. And if I impress greatness, then maybe I'm aiming too low. That's kind of like where I went with that. That was my thought process. So when I went home, I called my agent. And so I was telling him, I said, look, I know I always tell you, like, I don't really want to do TV. I've done a couple of, like, local commercials. I've done one national commercial. But I was really happy with microphone, brick wall, smelly, smoky room full of drums. That, I love that. But for the first time, I stopped and said, eh, let's, let's, let's aim a little higher. So I told her, basically, put me on the list to go out for auditions like you send out other people. And, you know, literally the rest is history. I mean, after that phone call, I think that incident happened in April and I had auditioned and booked Nick Arcade by January of that year. Wow. 
Uh, yeah. Phil, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, I know um, you, I'm a big fan of yours, obviously, but um, I just wanted to say, uh, particularly for that show, Nick Arcade, um, it was so groundbreaking. It was new. It was different. Mm. You know, as a kid, we've never seen anything like this. Um, so mm. I was going to ask you, like, what were your thoughts about that? Having being on the show that was very like groundbreaking, cutting edge. It was different. And I don't know yeah, what's, uh, what's behind that. Technically, I got to give props up uh, technically right now to the to the people that worked on the show. And the two men that created the show, uh, James Bethea and Karim Metef. Um, but then there's a whole lot of other people, you know, Sam uh, Rather and, and Scott Fishman and just a whole bunch of people who work behind the scenes to make that thing happen. We take a lot of stuff for granted right now. And like guys like you get this, but a lot of people that are younger than us don't get the fact that the thing that they're used to now, this thing that we do called Zoom, this, that, none of this existed back then. The idea of being interactive, like when, when, when Nintendo Wii came out, everybody was calling me like, hey, look, technology finally caught up with Nick Arcade. You know, they gotta <laughs> move your arms and affect what happens by standing in a room. And that didn't exist. Like the show would not exist. It's one of those things where these two guys created some technology and then said, let's see if we can make a show out of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it built like, around you know, it. Right, which which came first, the, the 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 horse or the cart? You know, these guys came up with a technology. They realized they could do a thing and went, hmm, what can we do with this? And um, so, uh, but when I was there, man, oh gosh, I, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, man. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> well, it looked like you're on cue at least. So <laughs> when I watched the beginning episodes, I can always tell a season one show from a season two show. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can just tell. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, or during the rap party, I'm telling myself here, during the rap party um, uh, the, for season one, the editors had made a, a, a collage of how many times I said, all right. All right was sort of my thought word. You know, some people, some people go, um, yeah, or some people yeah. go, okay. Uh -huh. They did a whole little montage. Like, so, and they said, all right, right now, let's see how many times <laughs> Fillmore can say, all right. Write down your predictions on your writing thingy and go. And then they showed it. And, it was, and they showed every single time, hey, you just got the points. All right. All right. Bobby likes to play. Da, da, da. You collect baseball cards. All right. Oh. You go to the video zone. All right. Hey, Andrea, tell them what they're going to win. All right. It was just. <laughs> the, um... I was so nervous. I didn't know because I had never done television. It was like, it was my first foray into television. It was the first TV show I had ever auditioned for. Like, you know, I didn't have this wealth of experience coming into this. I made one phone call to my agent over the summer. She sent me out on a series of auditions. Nick Arcade was the one that I got. And I went from standing there in front of elephant dung to hosting the television show. And I could not give two craps, pun intended, about how the dang show worked. I nope. did not care. I, you know, I had a hard time looking. If I could go back, you know how George Lucas keeps tinkering with Star Wars, adding and changing? Yeah. My version of Greedo Shot First is going back and making me say Dr. Robotnik instead of <laughs> Dr. Robonik. Robonik. <laughs> the, um, Phil, one quality that I saw that you had was uh, the ability to keep the kids engaged and being able to still make them feel joyous and happy despite them getting answers wrong or them feeling flustered. Uh, during either the video challenges or just the various questions you would ask round by round? Well, I'm, I'm glad that you picked that up. I It's one of those things where um, I feel like at times I was in the right place, definitely at the right time, and that particular show was made for me. 25 years later, I got together in New York City with um, the creators of the show. You know, we, you know, we'd seen each other off and on, but this was like a big event that was happening. So they brought back a lot of, you know, old Nick people from the 90s. And so here we are now. They've gone on to do other things. One is working over at Paramount Pictures as a big major executive. The other guy is creating software. And I'm now a producer. And we're all sitting around just, you know, having like, you know, some, 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 uh, some deli in New York. And I stopped and I said, I've been on the other side of like casting people. And I've always wondered, I've never asked you guys this, was I really that much better than the other people that auditioned for the show? Uh, especially on what I call the screen test day. It, they, it got down to being just two people. And um, you could go online and people have mistakenly called this the original pilot for Nick Arcade. And I'm like, no, 
when they were testing out the format, one of the guys who's now an executive over at Paramount, a guy named Neil Sharon, um, he was a producer at the time in Nickelodeon, and they wanted to test out the technical aspects of the show. So they actually used the set of Get the Picture, um, the first show that was hosted by Michael Malley. And they had him online just kind of, well, they didn't have him online. They just shot him and somebody got hold of the footage and put it up. But when it came down to the, uh, the screen test day, we'd already gone through the auditions. They had narrowed it down to two people. And we were, we, they brought in real kids and they were paying them to be the contestants. So I asked the guys, I said, was I really that better than the other person that came in? They went, nope. I'm like, no. <laughs> like, well, thanks. Can you the chair out from under me? Can you stroke my ego just a little bit? You know, can you buy me dinner? You know? um, but I'm like, so why did you guys pick me? And this is what they told me. This is not me talking. This is what they told me. They said, both you guys were really good. I mean, that's why I got down to you too. I mean, I went through the original audition and six callbacks. That's seven times going in trying to read for this thing. Finally, they bring us in on the soundstage and there's lights, there's cameras. They're shooting it like an episode with real kids. They said, the thing that made us choose you was this. When the other guy would get to a place where we had to stop down for a second, either to change batteries or a lighting thing happened or just to reset to do another take of something, the other person would stand behind the podium and very diligently and very meticulously do their job as all good hosts should do and go over the copy because he wants to make sure he's got everything right for this audition because this is a life-changing job. However, they said every time we stopped down for any reason with you, you would put down your papers and you would go and talk to the kids. Wow. And I'm like, are you serious? He said, yeah. He said, so ironically, the thing that got you the job wasn't anything we actually recorded. <laughs> you know I, mean? I was like, wow. He said, you just seem to be that guy that we realized, okay, he can relate, they'll relate to him, and he kind of cares about what's going on. Because the one thing I was noticing about the kids that were our test kids for the screen test was they were nervous. I mean, they were there at Nickelodeon. As to, to, to come into the door, you're walking by the geyser. You're walking by the Double Dare set. You're walking by, and there's Melissa Joan Hart walking down the wall. These kids were starstruck. They were daring the headlights, and they were scared out of their mind. And I thought, instead of it like, how can I be better so I can get the job? It was like, if I can make them feel at ease, they'll be better so that we both can just have, like, a conversation in this quote-unquote testing that I'm doing you know what I mean so every time we would break down and stop for whatever reason like I said changing a battery changing a light or whatever I would go and hang out with them I'm like how's it going all right I was like I didn't know if I gave the right answer dude there is no right answer I don't know you know I don't know what the answers are he said do you have a paper there I said I have them on the paper there if I see them you know and then we laughed and stuff and it was that kind of just conversations that I was having with them in between and they said that James and Karim said that's why we chose you. We realized that you will reach through that screen and have us have a conversation with the kids as opposed to being more concerned about you and how good you look. Right, right. Hey, Phil, um, get a real quick question off topic. I wanted to ask you, besides from my knowledge, Adam Wade from Musical Chairs and Steve Harvey from Showtime at the Apollo, were there many other African-American game show hosts at the time that you were doing Nick Arcade? No, and it's just funny. This is really off topic. It was something that we realized, and a couple of people, there's a, there's a book out you can get by an author named Matt Klitstein. It's like, um, the uh, was it uh, the Oral History of Nickelodeon? It's called Orange or something like that. The, uh -huh. or, oral History of Nickelodeon. Look it up on Amazon. You can buy the book. He did okay. a comprehensive interview with everybody. And one thing that story that he got from James and I, uh, James, by the way, is, is African-American. Um, he, he, one thing that we realized, we were flown out to Los Angeles because the show was nominated for an ACE Award. And for those of you who aren't familiar, before they used to give a separate award for shows that were on cable. You know, just like you have your Tonys for Broadway, your um, Grammys for music, Oscars for, for movies, and, and Emmys for television. They used to give what was called an ACE for programs that were on cable. Nowadays, cable or not, you just all get an Emmy. 
Um, but it. back then it was separate. So we were nominated for an ACE award and we were out here. The, the marketing person from Nickelodeon uh, got us all in to go to the NAACP Image Awards, which, you know, yeah. it's a huge award program. It was just happening while it was, it just happened to be going on while we were going to be in Los Angeles. Uh, Cause all of us were living on the East coast at the time. And then the next thing you know, she gives us a call in our hotel room and go, um, we really missed something here. And we went, why? She says, y'all should be up on that stage. Wow. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, well, I just did a, you know, really thorough research. And she goes right now, Phil is the only African-American host on television in the United States. Dang. And we didn't, you know, we, we didn't realize that. I mean, we were just, we were three guys trying to do a great job to do something very entertaining, make some money and, and uh, you know, do the best we can. We never really looked at it as a point of like, hey, part of this trinity here, two of the guys happen to be black. Was, we never thought about that. But then all of a sudden, marketing came and realized they should have parlayed something to get us up there as part of the presenters or something, because we were history at that moment in time. Really? That's crazy. I never, I never realized yeah. I didn't realize that we didn't either. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, boom. So in this book called uh, Slime, that's the name of the book, Slime, The Oral History of Nickelodeon. In this book, um, they, they really talk about that because... It, it really made an impression on us. And so when we were being interviewed, we, we brought it up and it's in the book. Um, yeah, but that's, that's, it's amazing. We didn't quite realize where we were sitting historically in time. And yeah, man, you're right. That moment in time, as, as the marketing person from Nickelodeon out of New York told us, I was the only African-American host on television in the United States at that time. And that time was really the golden ages of uh, of cable television. You know, Nickelodeon was on the frontier of you know embarking on just new on great programming, uh, cartoons for kids, and then you know people like you um, in the in the in the nucleus of Michael Malley, Kirk Fogg, Mark Summers. Um, you know, how did it feel really being in the golden age of television uh, and Nickelodeon? Well, you know, I walked in. To, uh, it was you're right, and I and I and it's, it's very cliche, and I don't want to come off as like just being one of those people to just recite the cliches, but it really was a golden time. It was a like it was it was like trying to capture lightning in a bottle, and it, it, it's never happened since. I can't remember a time when it happened prior. Um, the thing about the attitude, because Nickelodeon is still around, I still work for Nickelodeon right now, and um, but it was an interesting time because they were doing things that no one else was doing. I mean, we had the Disney Channel. And there were some other like things on PBS and they were all kid related. So when I say they were doing things no one else was doing, I don't mean that no one else was doing really good quality kids programming. But here's the best, the best way to explain what I'm saying. I actually was having lunch out in California while you know, in the 90s with the creator of the Rugrats. And I was asking her how she came up with the idea to design the Rugrats. And she said, well, I wanted them to look like real kids. I really patterned, like Tommy is patterned off of her child, you know, one of her, one of her sons. And I said, really? She goes, yeah. I said, when she said, look, when my son was born, I didn't go, oh, what a beautiful gift from God. I looked down and went, oh my gosh, that baby's ugly. Look at his head. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, and every time I looked at anything that was done on the Disney channel, everything was, the people looked like actors and models and real you know, chiseled people. If you saw them just at the grocery store, you would go, wow, that kid belongs on TV. Or if it was a person who played a mom or a dad, you would go, wow, hey, are you a performer or something? But when you saw us that were on Nickelodeon, you would think, are you the soccer coach? <laughs> you know? Are you the gym teacher? <laughs> you know? Michael Malley takes that role with the backwards hat. Exactly. <laughs> All right. day. Exactly. Michael Malley got to wear the hat backwards. Um, I refused to wear a tie. I came to like the Mark Summers era and he was wearing a tie. And I'm like, nah, man, I, I, I don't do ties. No, you know, you got a show like Rugrats. You got Pete and Pete. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? They just said, look, we want to make shows that are fun. 
We want it to be entertaining, just like all of these other great programming on, on television at the time. But we want you to think if you walk out your door, you could possibly see these people for real. But, you know, like you said, you know, in Nickelodeon, it was like, do you ever see the shirts I wear? It's like, it looked like a kaleidoscope threw up on me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, no not gonna, I'm not going to build on that, Phil, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, it's, like, who went shopping for me? I'm like, the Stevie wanted to go shopping because this, <laughs> these don't go together. These don't go together, guys. You were just uh, a lost Huxtable child. That's all it was. Oh, <laughs> just call me Theo. Um, <laughs> but, um, and you know, like I said, yeah, Michael Malley with the hat on backwards. Kirk Falk got to wear shorts, man. He got to wear short pants all the time. Come on. And Summer could wear what she wanted to if she wanted to. You know, so, you know, that, that doesn't happen these days, man. It just, it doesn't happen. It's, um, uh, but Nickelodeon at the time was kind of like, just be free, be relatable. Um, and be yourselves, guys. Go out there, be yourselves. You know, I could not host Guts. Mike could not host Nick Arcade. Kurt could not host Double Dare. Mark could not host, well, Mark can host anything. He's really that good. But <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like we were tailor-made and tailor-picked for what we did to do what we did. And all the stuff was also in your backyard, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was the <laughs> thing that was interesting for me. I was one of the really fortunate ones. Um, you know, uh, uh, Michael Miley lived in New York. Kurt Farg and Mark Summers lived in um, Los Angeles. Summer lived in Colorado. I lived in Orlando. I, I just happened to be living there. It's where I, where I, I went to college in Daytona Beach and then got a job uh, when I finished college uh, in Orlando. And then when I made the career change to start doing stand-up, I was in Orlando. Um, fortunately for me, Orlando at that time was trying to be Hollywood East. That's actually what they would call it, you know, before it became Atlanta, like it is now and, and Canada, like it is now, it was Orlando. Um, they were trying to give New York and LA a run for their television and film dollars. And those two major sound stages that they, uh, studios, I should say, there was multiple sound stages, but those two stage major studio lots, um, gave them the opportunity. I mean, we, we, you know, one day I was walking by and the Backstreet Boys were filming Larger Than Life. You know, the music video? Yeah. So, like, we sat down and we hung out a little bit. You know? I mean, they were like, the set where you see them, like, in space and stuff, you, you turn around the next minute and there's WWE pros out there, you know, rehearsing on another soundstage. It was like, business was coming down and um, it was a great place to be and a great time to be there. And, and I just happened to be a car drive from work but it's weird because it's weird when you're not in los angeles when you're in los angeles well that's every day you go home to your place in burbank or you know glendale or you know where you, wherever you happen to live and you drive to the studio lot to do your show yeah that's commonplace um but not on the east coast not in especially not in the southeast so it was a really great place to be um you know and also i was a money saver <laughs> <laughs> That's always a good to, bonus on the back end there. They didn't have there. to fly me in. They didn't have to rent me a car. They didn't have to put me up in a hotel. They didn't have to pay for my room service. <laughs> Who's available? Yeah, get, get Phil on. Get Phil, yeah. How much money wake do we up, have? Go wake him up. Go down exactly. the hall, wake him up. How much money do we have? That little? All right, get Phil on the phone. <laughs> Phil, put some pants on and come down to the <laughs> It did kind of feel though like you were a little bit of everywhere, you know what I mean? Like it well, did feel you know like that. they they do they you know the thing that's really cool. Uh, and I, I again giving props to the entire staff and team of people that worked both in the New York offices and to everyone that worked uh, down in Orlando. Um, they like to give you opportunities to do other things uh, as long as you wanted to do it, you know. So yeah, I mean I went from. You know, the big thing became, when when am I going to get another show? You know, uh, Mike went from Get the Picture to Guts. Uh, Mark went from Double Dare to What Would You Do? And I was like, can, can I get another one? And so in the meantime, in between time, you know, I did the original first episode of All That. Yep. Um, I was um, on Figure It Out about 25, 30 times. Um, then there was the Nick Takes Over Your Schools, the Kids' Choice Awards. Um, big the help. big helps, uh, the big helpathons, those were fun. And then the biggie for me, though, I, I gotta say, I, I, I gotta say, nothing that I've done yet has actually topped this. But they 
on the heels of the super successful original Double Dare live tour, they created the Nick Live Tour, in which they teamed Mike and I together as co-hosts of a touring show. We did 42 cities in the United States, and they combined elements of Guts and Nick Arcade with also games from Wild and Crazy Kids and Double Dare. And we did everything from taking kids into the video zone to doing musical pies from Double Dare to the finale having a family climb the aggro crack. Dang. And just pulling a road show where you pack up. The highlight of, of my, I'm gonna say, the big cherry on the top of my Nickelodeon Sunday, honestly, was when we played Madison Square Garden. I can actually say I played the garden. 26,000 people to a sold out show. And then the next day when we were getting ready to leave, the front page of the New York Times uh, entertainment section said, Phil and Mike come to New York, they are rock and roll nice. for kids. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh my God. I can see it now, Just Andrew Dice Clay, Phil Moore, Michael Malley. <laughs> Move over Seinfeld, I got slime in my pocket. <laughs> I'm happy to see you. <laughs> the, um, I wanted to give you some uh, quick fire questions about your fellow colleagues. I wanted okay. to, I'm going to shoot, shoot you their names and I'm going to get, you're going to answer it with one quality that you saw with them. Uh, let's start with, uh, Mark Summers. Oh, uh, to, 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 uh personable. How, Michael Person. Malley. Um, one word, huh? One word. Yeah. 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 Mischievous. <laughs> and uh kirk fogg um caring there we go this is one of the things i really thought about kirk fogg a lot is just like he was uh you those questions on legends of the hidden temple really challenging yeah so it was just a lot a lot to get to especially when you had to advance to the second round with all those uh history questions right the and um kirk kind of kirk kind of came into it like me he had never done a television show before. Oh, wow. And so he went from being an actor, he was doing commercials. He wasn't even doing stand-up. He was just doing a lot of commercials and and any, any you know, bit part he could get on a TV show, you know, and um, and then all of a sudden he, he went through his process, nailed the job, and then he flew him out to Los from Los Angeles to Orlando and um, gave him a whole bunch of really, my questions were like, uh, you know, what battle was lost in Arizona that has the phrase, remember the, you know, and, yeah. uh, that's my question. Kirk is like, the Incas actually used to forge these <laughs> and from mines that they dug under the ground. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, dude, I can't even read that card. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, man. So yeah, caring would be because he really cared about getting everything correct because it was so intense. Yeah. Um, Mike liked pranking. And uh, Mark Summers, like I said, he was like, you know, he was very personable. Um, he sat down the day before we shot the first episode of Nick Arcade. I was a super nervous guy. Uh, I'd done all the rehearsals. He said, dude, man, looks like everything's going great. I was standing in the corner watching your run-throughs, man. They look great. I said, yeah, man, everything looks fine. Everything's going great. Can I close the door for a second in your office? Sure. Yeah, everything's going really good, Mark. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, man. I don't know. <laughs> and then he sat down and just because, you know, he, you, he, he could talk to anybody about anything yeah. and make you feel good about whatever it was you were talking about when you were done. That's cool. Um, yeah. So that's why that was the word I chose for him. And you got anybody else you're going to name? Uh, yeah. Uh, Summer Sanders as well. Oh, adorable. Or maybe no, adorable sweetheart. Yeah. She was uh man. Summer not is not was, but is just, she's adorable, man. She just, she, she exudes love. Here's the other thing too. You never saw any of us do this, but when her contestants would win, just on her own, her first instinct was to hug them. We weren't hugging nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think your toughest job was twisting the kids that were stuck in the arcade. I've seen I've seen a bunch of those episodes, and I'm like, man, this is it's really tough because they're so stuck on that arcade. You're like, Ugh, yeah, you scooch well, over one here. One of the things that I, you know I do every now and then out here in Los Angeles, I actually teach hosting. And one thing I you know, that you have to do is master the art of guiding people. Because when you're dealing with people who are just regular folks, 
they don't know, oh, my back is to the camera. Yeah, or they yeah. don't know, I need to face this way. Right. Or they don't know, oh, the sun is going to get a weird, funky glare in the camera. So you've got to be able to maneuver them. Now, again, during my times with Nick, Nick Arcade, I was just learning this. So if you see me do it on Nick Arcade, it, you know, I'm kind of fidgeted. But then by the time we got to the other show I did, the last show that I did, at the end of my decade with Nickelodeon, the show was called You're On, and we did that in 1999. And it's so funny that it's ironic that the thing that people remember the most is Nick Arcade, and I love it. It's terrific. But I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But You're On, very few people remember that. But doggone it, man, I was like, flying on automatic pilot, man. I had so much fun because I wasn't thinking about how to do the job. I'd done it now for 10 years. I'd already done, you know, all of the other things I already named for Nickelodeon, all of the, like I said, big help, take over your schools, live tours and stuff. So by the time we got to being back in the studio with a live studio audience, it was almost like when I was doing audience warm up, just talking to the people and making them laugh. Oh, and every now and again, I got to talk to the camera too. Nice. The um, fun fact that we found out uh, about doing all this research, Phil, is that Kirk Fogg and the late John Singleton both went to our same high school, Isaiah and I's. We went, they yeah. all went to Eisenhower High School, yes. Nice. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and here's a, an, an additional fun fact for you. Um, I was actually, uh, my one and only movie role was uh, directed by the late great John Singleton. That's correct. Uh, I had a co-starring role in the film Rosewood, in which I stood alongside guys like Ving Rhimes and Don Cheadle and John Voight and Esther Roll and Michael Rooker. I, dude, you, you you got half of the MCU in this movie. <laughs> it's and, a powerful film there. Me. Yeah. Huh? It was a very powerful film, Phil. You did a really, good job it in it. Really. Yeah, it was, it was very hard to do. And, and people ask, like, why were you doing this? Did you want to be an actor? No, I didn't. But that was at a time where, you know, Nickelodeon, the writing was on the wall that the studio was going to be closing down. We knew that way before the public got the word. And so then you start reevaluating, okay, what do I do next? You know, uh, I have uh, benefited and been very, very blessed by this decade of Nickelodeon. But what do I do now? And then I realized, wow, I've only kind of done only two things. One was stand up and the other was host in front of live people. And I thought, well, if I can't get a job doing either of those right away, what else could I do? And that's when I realized maybe, uh, maybe I'll take an acting class. Maybe I'll give that a shot. And that's why I did the movie Rosewood. Um, it was really part of the great experiment. I didn't like it. I don't like acting. I mean, uh, I, all, all props to everybody who does it. I mean, you know, I'm the biggest, you know, movie nerd there is, but I just found it not to be the thing for me because primarily it just goes too slow. TV is a fast medium. Um, movies are a lot slower to, you know, get from point A to point B. Uh, and I just found like with my energy, um, I found it myself, I found myself getting little distracted you know um but working with those people is terrific because like now even to this day if i'm at an event if i'm at a comic-con if i'm at a mall and i just happen to run into any of those actors that i name like man i'm so blown away that they even remember who i am you know? yeah as a matter of fact two months before john singleton passed i ran into him at a walgreens like and i turned around <laughs> and i said excuse me i know you trying to be low key. I just want to say <laughs> hi, Mr. Singleton. I don't know if you remember. He goes, Aaron Carrier. That's my character name. I'm like, yeah. I said, I'm Phil Moore. He goes, yeah, I didn't remember your real name, but I remembered your character, man. How you doing? So we had this kind of like, wow, you know, How and cool. that's happened with, with John Singleton. That's happened with Don Cheadle. Um, you know, when I, and Michael Rooker, you know, I was yeah. at a Comic-Con making an appearance and he was at a Comic-Con making an appearance and the, and he had a line of people waiting to come see him and he's like, wait a minute, come here, man, come over here. You know? <laughs> uh, so it was a great experience that that forged a lot of great memories and um, it, it, it solidified some ongoing relationships, which I'm very, very uh, proud and very thankful and humble to have, you know. 
Phil, on uh, on our podcast, come sit with us. Uh, the last segment of the show that we usually leave people, uh, the audience with, is some positive affirmations. And I wanted to have you on the show to talk about Nickelodeon nostalgia, but I also wanted to leave the audience with something I've gather- gathered over the years from the, f- the many times I've met you. Um, one quality that I noticed from you over the many times we've met is that you're always happy, energetic, and simply fun to talk to. Um, just tell me, how do you keep that same drive day in and day out? Um, well, uh, thank you. Uh, I, 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 I go back to something that I kind of touched on with, 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 um, Dick, uh, Dick Clark. Um, you see, there's a lot of people that have been in my life, family, friends, teachers, producers, directors, and you know, when they're trying to like instill something in you, you know, when they're trying to teach you a thing. But even as I've grown up and now am the father of an adult who works in the business now, I realize that the things that sort of make the most different are the things you aren't trying to do. Mark, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Dick Clark was not trying to, um, um, you know, give me something in filling. He wasn't trying to um, motivate me. He wasn't trying to encourage me. He just said something. And what he said had a positive effect on me. Likewise, the opposite also happens. You could just say something and you're not necessarily trying to cut somebody down, but it affects them. And out of all the classes that I've, te- that I've, that I've, that I've taught, out of all of the um, you know, lectures that I've given my kid and my girlfriend's kids, out of all of that stuff, most people walk away having learned something from what I wasn't trying to teach them. That's why it's important to me to be positive and encouraging uh, all the time, because I might not know that you're looking at me, but you are. I don't know whose eyes are on me. I don't know whose ears are hearing what I'm saying, but they're there. And it has an effect on people. I mean, this, I don't want to simplify this, but I don't know, seriously, if you and I would be having this conversation and the history of me would be what it is if it weren't for the elephant taking a dump and Dick Clark doing something he didn't have to do. You know, so he didn't have to do that. And he wasn't trying to encourage me. He was trying to be gracious to the audience. I was kind of like an afterthought. That's how important it is. When I mean, when I say the stuff you're not trying to do, he wasn't trying to do that for me. He was trying to be entertaining to this crowd to keep them pumping and cheering because we had five, seven more minutes to film and he did their energy up and he did them laughing and cheering and happy. So he made a personal appearance to give them that, 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 that Red Bull to get them up and pump. So he wasn't trying to do anything for me. <laughs> and yet he changed the course of my life in wow. a positive way. So lastly, uh, what motivates you to keep pursuing your goals? And is there any advice you can give the listeners regarding that? Because you're a man that has a production and hosting resume a mile long. Um, well, uh, the, the thing that keeps me going is I'm not done yet. Um, and I can't turn my brain off. Uh, that's, that's really it. I mean, I thought I was going to sort of transition out and do something else. And then, um, I got a phone call with somebody who had a show that was being done by, um, uh, Nick Cannon. Uh, it was a show on, that was on Nickelodeon called Drop That Seat. And I, I kind of scratched my head and went, Nickelodeon again? I'm like, man, you know, because I was in that mindset of like, oh, I don't want to revisit the past. I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a forward thinker. I want right, to move forward. Right. I want to move forward. But um, um, there was a guy who said something to me, man, that was really cool one day. He said, you know, he said, um, he, they were talking to him about like getting a promotion and, and going on to the next thing. And I actually, in my nerd brain, I equated this to Star Trek II, the Raft of Khan. So stay with me, okay? Because because Dr. McCoy said this to Captain Kirk and this guy said this to him. He said, so people are like, dude, so look, you've been at this job for a while, man. When are you going to get a promotion? And he's like, why is everybody asking me to go to the next thing when I found the right thing, you know? And if you remember... Dr. McCoy stopped and said, Jim, becoming an admiral was the worst thing you could have ever done. You know, <laughs> you know, you want to be hopping galaxies, not flying a console, you know, 
you should never become an admiral. Your best destiny was being a captain. And so when I got the call to come in and do some producing on the show with Nick, Clinton, Nick Cannon, and I've done, like you said, a whole bunch of other things and for a lot of different networks, but man, dude, when I went back home and I was in the midst of now on the other side of the camera, and like I said, I can't turn my brain off. I've got all of these ideas and I had an outlet for them. And then I went from that Nick show to another Nick show. And now we just wrapped uh, on um, March the 13th, we just wrapped season three of Ryan's Mr. B Playdate on Nickelodeon. It's like, oh my gosh, man. I was complaining about like, well, it looked like I'm backpedaling. This has been the most fun I've had 25 years, you know? So I can't turn my brain off. And the fact that if you've got something to do and you've got an idea and you don't feel like you're done, or the reverse, if you feel like, man, I'm done with this, um, maybe it's because you need to go back to the right thing and not necessarily just the next thing. That's well said. Yeah. Phil, uh, it, it was an honor to have you on the show, and I truly mean it when I say that you're someone that keeps me and Isaiah motivated to keep pursuing our aspirations. Is there anything you'd like to promote before we conclude uh, on Come Sit With Us? Um, yeah, just one last thing. Um, I said I was working from home. As I said already, we wrapped Ryan's Mystery Playdate. Um, we are on pause right now, but be on the lookout. You are in the right place with doing your podcast because what I'm working on right now is a brand new show uh, called Chasing the Crown. It's done by Amazon Prime in association with Twitch. That's right. Fillmore is producing another video game show. There we go. Uh, so if we can never get our butts back into the studio, we'll start <laughs> recording this sucker. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, keep an eye on that, uh, uh, Chasing the Crown. It'll be on Twitch whenever Corona lets us. <laughs> Phil, I want to thank you for sitting with us. Uh, it Once again, it was just uh, truly an honor to have you uh, talk the good nostalgia with us of Nickelodeon, and we really do appreciate it. Yes. I really you, appreciate you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay positive and keep doing what you can out there because right now a lot of people are going to get, are getting such great like joy out of being able to cut on people like you, other podcasters, other YouTubers uh, during this time of being on lockdown. So thank you for doing what it is that you're doing. Stay creative and, you know, just keep growing and building. Thank you for your time, Phil. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks guys. And I want to thank you guys for sitting with us on this episode of come sit with us i'm mark flores and i'm isaiah martinez you guys have a good night and be well mm -hmm.